Thanks, guys. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Well, we finished up a series uh, last week uh, called Marks of a Follower, where we talked about the essence and the actions of someone who loves Jesus, someone who follows Jesus. And we talked about boldness and peace and humility and compassion and forgiveness and kindness and thankfulness. And we said, gosh, that's kind of a big list. It's, it's challenging work to do that. And what we talked about was that we need to be really centered on Jesus in order to make that happen. We can't do that in our own strength, but as we focus on who God is, as we ask the Holy Spirit to empower our lives, then we are able to live that out. And so on this theme of being Christ-centered, like putting Christ at the center of our lives, we wanted to talk about this idea of of God, of who God is, and how do we look at God. And, you know, even the, the last song we sing, sang about shouting God's name, which one do we shout? How do we, you know, when times are tough, how do we turn to God? Because sometimes, you know, we might, um, we might read some verses over near the Christmas season. We're going through some Advent verses, and so we were, we were reading Luke 2, and in Luke 2, it says that, um, there were shepherds in a field that night, and behold, an angel of the Lord came, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, and, and they said, don't be afraid. And, and we, we just kind of skimmed right through that. And as I, as I read that with my family, I'm like, whoa, I think I just missed something huge here. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Um, I, I need a big, big picture of God. You know, as we... Um, as we live, as we go through our lives, I, I was talking to somebody, uh, a friend of mine from Restoration this week, and, and she's been sick, and she said, you know, when I'm sick um, and times are bad, sometimes I doubt that God is caring for me. You know, it's hard for me to trust God when times are bad. And, and then I was talking to somebody else who said, you know, that's not a problem for me, as we were talking about this. They said, I have a hard time trusting God when times are good because sometimes I think I can do it on my own. Um, that I don't need God. And so, so the question kind of of the morning is, how do we trust God? Do we trust God when times are good? And, and to grow in our trust for God, we're going to look at these sketches or pictures of a Messiah. And, and we're going to look at kind of the pinnacle of the Old Testament. There were these prophets, these people who spoke for God. And the, kind of the major, the, the biggest of the biggest was um, this guy named Isaiah. Now, it's good to look at Isaiah. Um, 20 of the 27 New Testament books uh, refer to Isaiah. 12 of them have direct quotations from Isaiah. Isaiah is kind of a, an Old Testament prophet that's not, not just in the Old Testament, but is woven as this beautiful thread throughout the New Testament. And, and he's often quoted in the New Testament to kind of enlarge or engage and enforce a picture of the Messiah. So it's a really good book to look at. But I don't know if you've ever turned to Isaiah. Most of us turn to it by accident because we go, oh, go into the middle of your Bible. And so if you, oh, by the way, if you need a Bible, they're right in the back and you can put your hand up and Leslie will magically appear and she'll bring one to you or someone will. Um, See, look at that. I'm almost a prophet. Um, I'm not. (laughs) But go ahead if you want. It's a good day to be in your Bible. So if you go to the middle you either hit Psalms, Proverbs, or Isaiah. Now, when you look at Isaiah, it's pretty daunting. Uh, There are 66 chapters. It's huge. And 
um, here's a structure of it. If you want this, I can email it to you because it's pretty hard to read from back there. Um, it's broken up into different things. It's mostly poetry. And so, um, so you have to try and interpret poetry. And if you remember from high school or college, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Um, it's got arguments, discourses, songs, and, and things called woes. Like, woe is me, um, or woe to you who do X, Y, and Z. And, and he uses this kind of weird language that's sort of tough to interpret sometimes. But it's, it's those things instead of really just a, an ordered history of God's people. So some of the Old Testament is called Old Testament narrative. That's more of a story, follows a nice linear path, not Isaiah. Um, it's not really chronological. There's some overlaps. So you'll read something in Isaiah 5 maybe, and it sounds a lot like Isaiah 28, for example. And so it can get a little bit daunting. Now, most of the time, I'll never say that you need an advanced degree to read the scriptures. You don't. You need community. You need to read it um, humbly, and you read it together, and you read it in the spirit, and, and we get it right most of the time. Um, this book is, is pretty challenging to read, so, um, but it's worth it. It is. And, and I think part of the reason why it's challenging, because one mistake we make is that when we read um, the Old Testament prophets, because this is the order they're in in your Bible, we read them like that. And so we read the first five books, and they're kind of historical, and some, you know, mix some poetry in there. And then we read these historical books that follow next, and then we read the books of poetry and wisdom, Psalms, Proverbs. And then we get to these people called the prophets, and they're at the end, so we think most of the things they say are going to happen in the future, kind of like Leslie going to get you a Bible. Um, and, and actually, the prophets most of, not all of, but most of what the prophets spoke about were towards their immediate context and surroundings in the very near future or the present. Now, some of them pointed way ahead, but most of them didn't. So it's better if we read the prophets like this, speaking into the historical setting of the books that are near them. But it's, it's, you got to do some digging to find out where you're going to go with that. So, um, so we're going to just look at the first verse of Isaiah and get some bearings here. So if you turn to Isaiah 1.1, we get, we get the setting of where Isaiah is and what he might be speaking to. And it says in Isaiah 1.1, it says, These are the visions Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, he saw these visions during the reigns when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. Okay, so now we've got a setting. Um, now we know that Isaiah is actually in a place. He's in Judah. Um, if you remember, if you've done any Bible reading before, God picks Abraham and he says, you're going to be my chosen person and I'm going to give you a land and a people and a blessing and you're going to bless others. And so then they enter this land and then through lots of disobedience, it takes a while, but they get the land and then they, get, they want a king and they get the first king, not so good. Second king, David, it's like, man, we have hit it. It's kind of like if the Vikings ever will win the Super Bowl, <laughs> like there will be this like, oh my gosh, that's what it was when David was king. Um, David was king in about a thousand. You can stay on the slide. David was king in about a thousand and everything was amazing. 
They had peace in the land. David, for the, David honored God. The people were honoring to God. They weren't um, worshiping other gods. They were truly this light on a hill to the other nations. All right, then Solomon, his son, became king. And Solomon decided that he was going to make a lot of political alliances. And so he just married like anyone he saw kind of deal. Um, and so he, when he got all of these wives, a lot of them were foreign so that they could make alliances and treaties with these other nations. And the kingdom expanded again, which is kind of a good thing. But the bad part of that was that they brought their worship and their religion and their idols with them. And the land kind of became corrupted, not kind of a lot. And then Solomon's son... He decided to become king, and he wanted to be, he wanted to take the land, uh, the people into a different place, Rehoboam, and the people didn't really like that, and so they rebelled, and so all of a sudden now Israel, ten of the tribes, and Judah became two different places. You with me? So now there's not one nation under God, there's two, and they don't like each other very much, so there's lots of fighting. So now you have Judah on one side, Israel on the other side, and many, many kings later, and this is what you need to know about Israel, the ten tribes, they had a ton of kings. None of them were godly. None of them followed God. They were all bad. All right? And like, usurp after usurp and rebellion, and some guy decided he wanted to become king, so he took a little band of people, and they went in, and they to the king, and then he was dead, and then the next person became king, and that's kind of all the way through Israel. Not good. Um, Judah did have like eight good kings, and Uzziah was one of those kings. His dad was actually good, and Jotham, he was actually good. And so when we read Isaiah 1.1, where it says, um, he saw these visions during Uzziah's reign, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, when those were the kings. Now we know the setting and the time that Isaiah spoke these things. And we can find out what was kind of going on if we go a little bit more to the previous part of the Bible. We're going to go to Chronicles, and we're going to see what was actually happening in Second Chronicles 6. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture, and if you're like, whoa, or you tune out, that'll actually reinforce the point for later, so that's okay. Um, but we're going to go to Second Chronicles 26, and again, we're getting the setting for what Isaiah, what was happening when Isaiah was a prophet. It says in Second Chronicles 26 that all the people of Judah had crowned Amaziah's 16-year-old son, Uzziah, who is also called um, a different name. It's on the screen. It was on the previous one. I forgot it at the moment, but anyway. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. That's kind of a long time. His mother was Jecoliah from Jerusalem, and he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God, and as long as the king sought God's guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. Note that. Uzziah declared war on the Philistines, and they broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. They built new towns in the Ashdod area and other parts of Philistia. God helped him win his wars against the Philistines and the battles against the Arabs of Gur and the wars against the Mennonites. The Mennonites paid an annual tribute, and his fame spread throughout the land, even to Egypt, for he had become very powerful. 
times were good with Uzziah. He was kind of a military powerhouse. And not only that, he was building. He was building fortified towers, it says in verse 9, in Jerusalem. Um, at the corner gate, the valley gate, and the angle of the wall, he constructed forts in the wilderness. He dug cisterns, so he was concerned with the water quality. So not only is he building things, not only is a military powerhouse, he's also this kind of scientific-minded person of like, ooh, it'd be good to have clean water. Um, and then he kept great herds of livestock in the foothills of Judah. And he was also a man who loved the soil. Are you getting the picture of Uzziah? It's like, man... You're like the most eclectic person. You farm, you carry herds, you build clean water systems, you have this amazing army. In fact, in verse 11, it says, Uzziah had an army of well-trained warriors ready to march into battle, unit by unit. They were organized. This army had been mustered and organized by somebody else. um, And they were under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officials. There was 307, 3,700 307, 500, yeah, whatever, a lot of men in the troops. 307,500, there we go. Verse 14. I didn't practice the numbers. Verse 14. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, sling stones. And he produced machines mounted on the walls designed to be experts to shoot arrows. So, I mean, are you catching this? Like, he's like, oh, let's just not have bow and arrow shooters. Let's build machines to shoot the arrows, and let's build these things called catapults. And, I mean, now he's like a scientific genius as well. Again, things are good. And it says in the end of verse 15, his fame spread far and wide, for the Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. Are you catching the things that this author wants us to catch? Uzziah, when he sought God, things were good. God gave him victory. He was very intelligent. He loved these things. He became very powerful. Verse 16. But when he had become very powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the altar of God. Azariah, the high priest, went after him with 80 other priests because you don't want to go up against the king because that means you're going to get killed. Went with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men, and they confronted Uzziah. And they said, it's not for you to burn the temple incense. That's the work of the priests alone. Uzziah, who was holding the incense burner, became furious. And he was standing there raging at the priest before the altar of the Lord. And, and then leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. When Azariah the high priest and all the other people saw the leprosy, they rushed out. Why? Because leprosy is a skin disease. It means you're unclean. It means you can't be in the Lord's presence. So they got out of there. Not only that, Uzziah, when he realized what was going on, he rushed out as well. So King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house. He was excluded from the temple because you can't go to the temple if you're unclean. And his son Jotham was put in charge of the royal palace and he governed the people of the land. And then we get these interesting phrases in in Chronicles like the rest of the events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are are recorded by the prophet Isaiah 
son of Amaz. When Uzziah died, he was buried with his ancestors, and his son Jotham became the next king. Jotham was 25 years old, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. Jotham did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Do you hear the second refrain of that? Uzziah did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father had done. Now Jotham did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He did everything his father Uzziah had done, except Jotham didn't sin by entering the temple of the Lord. But, this one's really important, the people continued in their corrupt ways. So now we have this setting for what is going on with Isaiah. Uzziah, most pow- one of the most powerful kings of the land, like almost like David. Of course, he's just king of these two tribes, Judah. Um, he's powerful. Assyria is a foreign land. They're becoming kind of powerful too, but not too powerful. So Israel and Judah and Assyria are kind of world powerhouses, and things are really good. But when Uzziah became powerful, he became proud. Jotham was good, but the people continued in their corrupt ways. Now, that's going to become real important as we look at what Isaiah is going to say to them. Again, if you tune me out a little bit, that'll just reinforce the point we're going to make later. So if you go to Isaiah 1, we see some of his songs, some of his discourses, some of his arguments, and some of his woes. Isaiah 1, we're going to go to 2 through 4. And Isaiah says, Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows his master, and a donkey knows his care, but Israel doesn't understand me. They don't recognize my care for them. They're a sinful nation loaded down with guilt. They're evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. If you're like a note taker or you like to jot things down in your Bible, you want to highlight the Holy One of Israel. That's one of Isaiah's favorite terms. We're going to go now to um, verse 11. What makes you think I want your sacrifices? Now you can imagine, maybe you can't, but I'll give you a picture. Um, Isaiah's pretty powerful. He's uh, prominent, most likely. And, And as he starts his little prophetic ministry, which sort of, I guess, might look like street preaching. So if you've ever seen those people, when you go maybe to downtown Minneapolis and they pull out their milk carton and they set it down and they stand up there and they shout things at people and people walk by like, seriously, ignoring them? Well, that's kind of what the people were doing with Isaiah. They were kind of ignoring him. But he's still going to say it. We'll find out why in a little bit. He says, listen to what the Lord says. What makes you think I want your sacrifices? I'm sick of your burnt offerings and rams and fatted, the fat of your fatted cattle, and I get no pleasure from, from the blood of your bulls and your lambs and your goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop your meaningless gifts and the incense of your offering. It disgusts me. As you celebrate new moons and Sabbath and special days, they're just sinful and false. 
I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your celebrations. They're a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your eyes in prayer, I won't listen. Though you make prayers, I won't hear them. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sin out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Seek to do good. Seek justice and care. Help the oppressed, defend the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. What Isaiah is saying is like, your worship is just show. And you, you, you sing with me and you honor me with your mouths, but, but your hearts, they're far away. In, in Isaiah 2, verse 7, we get, we get another little glimpse. Isaiah's, or Israel's full of silver and gold. There are no end to its treasures. The land is full of war horses. There's no end to its chariots. The land is full of idols. And the people worship things they have made. Okay, remember how I said, you know, in Second Chronicles, we see um, Uzziah was very powerful. The land had lots of wealth. The people had lots of wealth. But they were corrupt. And so what does it say? It says, Isaiah says, Now the people will be humbled. They will be brought low. In fact, crawl into caves, hide in the dust, the terror of the Lord, the glory of his majesty is coming. The people will be brought down. Human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. God is going to humble the arrogant people. Again, they're not really listening. They're just thinking, oh, we're fine. Things are good. If, if, if the land and and everything's going well, God must be for us. Um, this is one of my favorites in Isaiah 3, verse 13. Isaiah likes to use um, what we call personification, and so um, putting personal attributes to inanimate objects, and so he's going to kind of personify the nation of Israel. So this isn't really um, condemnation against women. It's condemnation in general. But in in verse 13, it says, the Lord takes his place in court. He's going to present his case against his people. He's going to come forward to pronounce judgment to the elders and the rulers of the people. You've ruined Israel, my vineyard. Your houses are full of stolen things. How dare you crush my people? The Lord says, beautiful Zion is haughty. She cranes her elegant neck. She flirts with her eyes. She walks with dainty steps. She's, she um, has tinkling of her ankle bracelets. The Lord will put scabs on her head, and the Lord will make beautiful Zion bald. On that day of judgment, the Lord will strip away everything that makes her beautiful, ornaments, headbands, crescent necklaces, earrings, bracelets, veils, scarves, ankle bracelets, sashes, perfumes, charms, rings, jewels, party clothes, gowns, capes, purses, mirrors, fine linens, garments, head ornaments, shawls. Instead of smelling sweet perfume, she will stink. Isaiah likes to use a colorful image to try and tell the people, you're really concerned about fashion. You're really concerned about, about clothing and about jewelry and about money and about power. Basically, you're concerned with anything but God. Instead of seeing the oppression of the poor and doing something about it, you people, he's saying, are just being self-serving and arrogant. Chapter 5, verses 20 through 24. It says, let the Holy One of Israel carry out his plan. 
Woe. Maybe your Bible says, what sorrow. Woe to those who say that evil is good and good is evil, or that dark is light and light is dark. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, who boast about the alcohol they can hold. They take, bri- they take bribes and let the wicked go free. They punish the innocent. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of heaven's armies. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. So the people had no discernment. They couldn't tell what was right and what was wrong. They were arrogant. They, they would rather get drunk and, than, and allow corruption to happen than really seek God's justice for God's people. Now, as most of you or some of you or a few of you tuned out a few of those things because you're like, what in the world does this have to do with today? Isaiah was writing to a specific time. You kind of just told us that. Um, what difference does it make? Well, as we looked at in Second Chronicles, and as we see in these prophecies that happened kind of over the years of Uzziah and Jotham, so over this some of, not all of the 52 years that Uzziah was king, but some of the latter parts of Uzziah's reign, and then much, actually all of Jotham's reign, the, the people continued in their corrupt ways. And so Isaiah didn't speak all these things kind of at one time, but over the course of years spoke things like this. Maybe, probably spoke these exact words. And, and the people just tuned him out. Even, even though they had this reminder of this powerful king who had leprosy, who lived in seclusion because he was arrogant, the people still kind of rejected that. So why would Isaiah speak to a people that weren't going to listen to him? We find out that answer in Isaiah 6. Isaiah now goes to first person, and he said, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and attending him were mighty seraphim. These are fiery serpents. It says that they each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew, and they called out and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's army, or the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices, it says, shook the temple to its foundation. And smoke filled the entire place. And Isaiah, as a godly, good man, in good times, realized the almighty perfect, holy God is this standard, and I just fall way short of it. He says, it's over, I'm doomed, or he even says, woe is me. And he realizes, in God's sight, who he looks like. Even as a prophet, even as a godly man, he says, I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips, which is a Hebrew way of saying, I'm just a a person who messes up, I'm a sinner. And yet, I've seen the Lord. Remember Moses, if you have studied your Bible, Moses like asked to see the Lord and God said, you can't handle it if you see me. You'd like, you'd just shrivel up and die or become a little 
powder of smoke. And yet Isaiah has seen the Lord. Now, now Uzziah filled the temple with smoke. Remember that from Second Chronicles? He like wanted to burn incense. He filled the temple with smoke. But he didn't possibly, he didn't realize that the true king, the God of Israel, the true king of Israel was the one who filled the temple. He thought his smoke could fill the temple, that he was the true king. He got arrogant and proud. Isaiah just says, I am unworthy to be in the king's presence. Again, the people of Isaiah's time, especially during Uzziah's reign and Jotham's reign, they thought, hey, everything's great. If, if we're having good times, God must be on our side. Israel's leaving us alone, because remember, they're in Judah. And Assyria's leaving us alone. Like, we're fine. Times are good. And Isaiah is saying, you know what? You need to acknowledge God when times are good. Sometimes when I have a, a tough time trusting God in the good times, it's because my picture of God is just too small. But when I see these words in Isaiah, when he says, the Holy One of Israel, it's kind of like he takes my little picture of God and just blows it up. And I realize no matter if it's good times or bad times, I have to acknowledge this almighty, omnipotent creator. I mean, look what it says again. It says, I saw the Lord he was sitting high in a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple and mighty seraphim, these, these fiery serpents had six wings and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's saying like, God is absolutely sovereign. He's almighty. He's separate. He's above everything. He's the ultimate king. He's set apart from the world. He rules. He has the right to dictate as the true king how his subjects live and how they behave. And he can do that. And I think if we want to trust God when times are good, we don't want someone like Isaiah to come and challenge us. I mean, think about the society that we live in. Do we not have what we need? Are not some of us a little bit concerned with our fashion, our finances, our status? You know, that's challenging for me sometimes. I think the times of Uzziah are not so different to the times of today. Times are good. So how do we trust God in that? We blow up this massive picture of the Messiah as the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah saw this vision of God and he said, I am, I am undone. And then it says, one of the seraphim that we're looking when he was looking at this vision of God, one of the seraphim flew down and put a burning coal on his lips and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Your sin is removed. Um, 
when the priests would have to go into the temple, the Holy of Holies, this was the place they went just once a year because it was like so sacred and it was the place they believed God dwelt. But they didn't leave fire in there year-round because the fire would obviously die out if they're only going in there once a year. So they would take a coal from the altar on the outside and they would pick it up with the tongue and they would bring that coal into the Holy of Holies and they would light the fire with that coal. And so that brought the fire in. This place was pure. And so the symbolism for this, for this vision Isaiah saw was the seraphim took one of the coals from the pure temple, brought it out, and said, Isaiah, your sins are forgiven. Your guilt is removed. And, and he says, what should, what should I do now? Well, he heard the Lord saying, who will go as a messenger for me? Who will go and speak for us? And and Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. Isaiah, even though times were good, even though no one would listen to him, said, I will go and speak these words to the people even though I'm not going to get a response because I have seen this holy God who I can acknowledge even when times are good. So as you look at your life, as we read a whole lot of scripture this morning, and you look at your life though, and you look at the people and the characters that we kind of touched on today, where would you kind of put yourself? I mean, would you put yourself in the place of Uzziah, who, who was so proud that even, even a skin disease on his forehead, I have no idea what that's like. Um, some of you remember that. Um, could not acknowledge that the God of the universe needed to be God of his own life? Are you like the people of Isaiah's day who, who said, you know, God's probably on our side. I'll sort of acknowledge him. I'll go into worship. I'll sing the songs. I might give some offering, but I don't really want to put him in control of everything. Or maybe you're like Isaiah. Maybe you've realized that when you stand before the Almighty God that, that you just don't measure up and, and neither do I. And, and instead you've, you've stood there and you've realized because you've asked, you've confessed that God has forgiven you and now you're saying, send me. Send me. I'll, I'll be your messenger. Or maybe you're not sure where you're at. Isaiah's words are still true today. He is the Holy One of Israel. And, and I think it's just perfect that it like snowed all last night and there's this fresh cloud of snow, powder, because Isaiah 1 says, you know, I wish you'd just reconcile with me. Isaiah's speaking on behalf of God. He, he kind of indicts them and says, you're sinful people. But then he, he says in verse 18, he says, though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. God gives the same offering to us today. So will you join me in praying to the Holy, Holy One? God, when I look at that much scripture, 
especially on your holiness, it, it pauses me, it makes me pause to even know how to address you. We know that your word says that you're accessible, that we can boldly approach your throne of grace because of what Jesus has done as the, the best picture of the Messiah. But, but I know I sometimes forget how far and set apart you are from me. That you are the Holy One, that when times are good and we think maybe we're doing it on our own, that it is only from you. And I pray that, that we could be a group of people that, that have a, a relationship with you, but yet acknowledge your omnipotence, your all-powerful, sovereign place in the world and in our lives. I pray for those who are here, God, that, that have seen this picture of you and they say, I am undone. I'm a sinner. I, I need you to take it away. And God, I pray that we'd hear those words that Isaiah spoke, that, that you call out even today. Though your, your sin has stained you, I will wash it away. I will make you white as snow. God, I pray that we'd, we'd acknowledge that today for our lives. That we wouldn't come about it arrogantly, but we'd come humbly. And we'd say, thank you, God, for, for making me white as snow. For those that still need to deal with some things, God, I pray that during the song they could just continue to pray to you and talk to you and ask for your forgiveness. Especially if we've, they've failed to acknowledge you as, as first even when times are good.